CJ here, and welcome to the sound of black and brown. I'm going to apologize for my voice. My allergies are kicking in, so um, I sound a little itchy. That's why. A little sinusitis and allergy action happening. No biggie. I mean, times are changing. Well, hopefully we are too, but I don't know. So the last 24 hours, at the very least, have been pretty intense. If you're watching the news, uh, yesterday it was flooded with news of Donald Trump, you know, heading to court to be charged with 34 charges or whatnot. I mean, <laughs> where do we start? I don't even know where to start. Do you know where to start? I truly do not know. Because, you know, unfortunately, um, while that looked nice and it seemed nice, I mean, I don't know how else to say this, and I'm just going to preface by saying I do not condone nor support the behaviors of these persons in any way, shape, or form, but um, let me just say out loud, we didn't waste time to put R. Kelly or Bill Cosby in jail for that matter. You know, it was like a, a no-brainer, yet somehow when it comes to uh, criminals such as Donald Trump, um, time is on their side, you know, and I'm pretty sure, you know, he has access to all he needs to plead his case, unlike the many black and brown women who are currently incarcerated, uh, some of whom are wrongfully incarcerated, many of whom who cannot afford the means to their freedom and so they go into the cycle of being in and out of jail. And, you know, let's just face facts here. This is not Donald's first round in the rodeo, right? Um, now, through all of this, something that came out from uh, the Exonerated Five, which I thought was pretty amazing, was one of the members um, took out an ad, right? So the exonerated five um, are the five black and Latino men who were teenagers in 1989 and were wrongfully accused and imprisoned for the rape of a white woman in Central Park, New York. Um, and, you know, the whole reason why they were incarcerated in the first place is because they were heavily interrogated and basically coerced into confessing to be guilty when, in fact, they were not, right? Um, and it became known as the Central Park, uh, sorry, Central Park Five. So out of that, um, at the time, Donald Trump was a real estate tycoon. You know, this is back when he was just flourishing. He was a slumlord. He was a mega millionaire. You know, and he was also a Democrat. Ha ha ha. Um, and you know, he took out full page ads calling out for the execution of these young men, right? So on the day that Donald was arrested and arraigned, Youssef Salam, one of the members of this exonerated five, you know, after they had um, been freed and had an opportunity to, you know, be released, you know, plead their case and, you know, fight their case and be free, they um, call themselves the Exonerated Five. 
And so you see, he took out an ad calling for the same, you know, or similar. And, you know, I don't blame him. I'm not mad about it. In fact, if anything, I was a little bit surprised, but not really, that yesterday I didn't see more like that. Um, you consider, like, all this man has done over these years. And, you know, in such a short span of time, the amount of heat and anger and animosity, um, he made white supremacy even more accessible. Let's be real. You know, I speak for myself and many other black and brown people when I say that when he, when Donald Trump won the election, we all went to work thinking, Jesus Christ, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Because now he gave validity to anyone who wants to exercise their subliminal racist ways. You know, no sooner did he get into office, he also um, became like the hero for pro-life, the pro-life movement, you know, um, which was something else because <laughs> at one point back in 1999, when he was um, at a Meet the Press conference, you know, he said that he had his views on abortion, a little bit of the New York background, you know, he's very pro-choice, right? But then, um, later on, he would go ahead to now reverse his position, you know, um, by the time he gets into the White House. And now he becomes, like, anti-abortion, right? So now he's saying that, you know, oh, you know, I don't like the procedure, and it's wrong, and, you know, um, he just built up the uh, pro-life movement, right? Ignoring the fact that, you know, there's a reason why, you know, we need to keep these choices for our women. Would you like to be raped or sexually assaulted or uh, coming out of a bad situation or even a surprising one and find that you're pregnant? Would you like to know that you, you know, um, are pregnant but unable to carry the baby to term? How would you feel if that were you? How would you feel? What do you tell someone when that happens? What can you tell someone, right? And that's just the bottom line with this, with all of this, right? Um, you know, and this man is just pure evil. He, aside from his views of very misogynistic, narcissistic views of women, he also has some very biased views of immigrants, okay? And it's quite funny because the last time I checked, his wife, who notably was absent um, as he endured his court hearing yesterday, sorry, arraignment, um, you know, is not an American, you know, she wasn't American born. She's also an immigrant. So it's funny how he could sleep with them, but you know what I'm saying? And, you know, this man, again, he unleashed this hate, this innate hate, this, I'm privileged, you're not, I could do this, you cannot, I'm rich, you're poor, I'm white, you're black or brown, see, he really brought that up, I mean, you saw, like, when he was up for re-election, you saw his support come back up, even while he was in office, these people were shameless. They were very happy to march around with their Trump 
um, flags and signs. And, you know, he was to make America great again with all these views that were just so ridiculous, but yet accepted. Why? Because most of the people who vote, right, they have the, the committed voters are people who have the access to do so by way of their income, their lifestyle, you know, and their commitment to whatever cause they believe in. Those, those are the people who vote, right? They believe in it to the point that they're like, look, I'm going to make sure on election day that I go down there and I make a decision. On the other hand, there's the people who, you know, through life, through what they were taught, through things they've seen, experienced, and otherwise, they're not that enthusiastic about our system, nor are they inclined to want to vote. There are also the folks who, due to their lifestyle uh, and due to, you know, the lack of accessibility to transportation or even knowing where to vote or how to register to vote, all these little barriers, you know, they're not going to vote, right? Now, if you're not worried about losing your job, if, you know, you have the ability to pay for public parking while you vote, um, if you know where all the ballot stands are and so on, you know, all these little things seem simple enough, but it's not accessible to everyone or something known by everyone, right? I say all that to say, uh, one thing with the Republican Party, they're very loyal to their cause. And that is definitely something that Donald Trump and his henchmen, um, through all of this, they have really shown that. They have really, you know, displayed the level of hate the level of bias, the level of racism, all the isms you could think of, they brought that forward and they justified it, okay? They justified it. Now, um, I don't know how to tell you this one either. Let's go back to the stock market crash. Now, back then, I just went back to 2008. Um, it started off as a mortgage scheme. It evolved as a white-collar crime that just, you know, it got its own life. And all these white people, because it was mostly white people, began investing. What are they investing into? They don't even know. They're not checking and balancing anything. Why? Because they're believing that what their white peer is telling them is correct. Right? Now, what comes out of that? Eventually, the scheme is found out. People are losing their houses. It's like a whole big Ponzi scheme right? Um, there's a lot of fraud involved. There's a lot of, you know, high ranking people involved. And then here comes the crash. Okay. Because the valuation that was said to be there never existed. Then here goes the money. And then what comes after that? Inflation. Well, back then, Donald Trump and people like Donald Trump, you know, would have known some of the people involved. And I'm not saying that to spread, uh, you know, gossip or anything. It's more so, you know, the wealthy know each other. And to the extent of who was involved, it is very plausible that they also shared political ties. So which meant that, you know, at various conventions and campaigns, they're running into each other, they're brainstorming with each other, they all having a good, good, good time, you know, because that's how it goes. They congregate, they discuss, they share ideas, they bounce off of each other. 
And years of doing things like this is how this man built his power. You know, one would think, which is probably even, I would be generous to say a quarter of what he has done would have been sufficient considering that we're supposed to be so woke and all these other words we like to invent that mean nothing. Um, you know, that he would no longer be able to or even think or even bother to, I don't even know, to even guess that he could even be president again. Like, but yet he's confident, right? And the thing about it is, there are black and brown people who also support him. Now, when this all goes down, which it will, watch who he sends into the fire first, right? Now, I joked about it yesterday when I was watching it on TV, and I said, look at him walking out to court, and all his friends, meaning the corrections officers and the police officers, they're all staring at him, right? Because that's the thing. Donald Trump had a very heavy militant following. We're still waiting to figure out who else is going to get charged for the January 6th insurrection. Look how long ago that was. So you figure if that's how long ago that was, how long do you think it's going to be before they charge him? Like really charge him, right? By which time would it even be valid? Would it go anywhere? I mean, we've seen some of his peers face off in court and they're still walking around free. But again, not to agree, condone, or otherwise, nobody wasted time prosecuting R. Kelly. You know, the TV special was ready to go. Um, you know, Bill Cosby lost all his endorsements. You know, he was put to shame. Even, you know, Michael Vick, when he got caught with the whole scandal with the, the fighting dogs and everything. You know, the bottom line is, when the accused is black or brown, and I'm not saying that I agree with anything or support anything any of the aforementioned did. But the fact remains, their crucifixion was quick and it was effortless, right? Same as what happened to the Central Park Five. I mean, I encourage you, if you have never, there is a very good um, documentary on their case. There are a few of them. You know, watch whichever one you could tolerate because I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to see things in that and you're going to probably sit there like, this has to be made up, but I'll unfortunately let you know, no, it's not. The fact of the matter is, you know, the prison system is meant to break you, which is why there's no issue with having rapists and pedophiles who, you know, share accommodations with everybody else. Now, in the outside world, one would think that's crazy, but the truth is, when some of these folks, you know, are released, what do you think they go to live, right? How do they live? Who's checking on that? Who's following up on that? That's a whole other conversation. The point is, in the uh, story of the uh, Exonerated Five, there's different versions, of course, because each one goes to jail. What happens is, is that it all is a result of them being young men, out there in New York, just young guys, young young kids being kids, and they were running through the park like all the other kids they were with. And what would happen is a woman would end up being raped, a white woman would end up being raped, and 
um, these guys ended up being caught by police um, and identified as being on the scene. Now, what would happen is each one would get pulled in for questioning and be interrogated. I mean, everything was wrong from the very beginning. These boys were presumed guilty just by the fact of their age, their race, right? Um, it was an easy, it was an easy thing. Here are these kids, of course, why couldn't it have been them? I mean, as horrendous as that sounds, that's what it was. And so what would happen is they get called in for questioning. And the other part about it was, you know, their caregivers were not informed. They weren't given due process at all. Instead, they were intimidated um, and basically told that they were guilty anyway. So it didn't matter if they tried to defend themselves, you know. Um, that's a scare tactic. They did not have lawyers present. They did not have a, a chance to represent themselves. I mean, no part of due process was adhered to. Now, they would end up, you know, going to court and it would be leaked. Ha, huh? probably wasn't. Um, done by accident, but it would be leaked that um, this happened. And, you know, by the time they go to court, you know, all eyes are on them, right? And so I can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like for any of them. But they had to go into court, walk into these courts, and deal with all that goes with all of that, right? you know, the crowds out jeering at them, you know, people holding up signs, you know, because they're being made as guilty. And of course, the racists and all of that. So it's accumulation of all these different things. So that was just one part of it. Then they each go to jail. And that's when life takes another turn. And, you know, in their documentary, you get to see some really sad moments, really, really sad. I mean, these are teenagers and they're growing up in jail. Um, not everyone were treated as teenagers, which meant one of them ended up as an adult because of his age. He was charged as an adult. And so he went into the adult system and was sexually assaulted several times. I mean, this poor kid, here he is, not knowing what's going on, not understanding why he's there. He's already dealing with what he's dealing with in his house, you know, whatever that might look like, you know, everybody thinks he's guilty. He ends up in this adult prison and he was sexually violated. And also it was made known by the staff to the inmates what he was in jail for. So let's roll that back. Here's this young man, you know, teenager tried as an adult, has nobody to talk to, has no one his age to confide in or be with, has never had to deal with anything like this in his life. And he's in this jail and they begin to sexually assault him to the extent that he enjoyed going into solitary confinement. Okay. Um, he would also get terrorized. He was shafted a couple times, stabbed a couple times. Why? Because the rumor in the jail was he was guilty of rape. And so that by itself caused him to have a target on his back. So you add to that that 
you know, it was a white woman. Now you have a whole other story. And his story, his, you know, time, you know, being incarcerated isn't the only sad part, of course. But, I mean, where do you go from there? Like, how do you, this man lost 30 years of his life, uh, most of which he was sexually assaulted repeatedly. The trauma, the nightmares, right? And then to know that you were innocent and you're being publicized as guilty, right? You know, I mean, where do you go from there? And then to have somebody, a dick like Donald Trump, put out an ad. This man spent the money. Can you imagine that? This man spent the money and the time to put something in the paper. He wanted them to go down. He wanted them to pay. Okay? He sat there and he just poured gasoline on the fire. And he could not give a shit. But what he did, really, was nothing that was un-American. That's the thing. What Donald Trump did to the exonerated five is what still happens now. The gaslighting, the gatekeeping, the I should have and you should not have, the separation. This man, Donald Trump, isn't, you know, a shining example of why we have no rent control, why we have homelessness, why food insecurity, housing insecurity, job insecurity, all these insecurities exist. Because you see, he built his wealth. And he's fine. He could do what he wants when he wants. I mean, did you see how many lawyers this man has? And not one of them are backing down. They all believe that he's innocent. They're all, you know, very adamant. You got to give him credit. His people are very committed. Makes you wonder, what does he know? Well, let's, let's think about this for a second. One bad actor cannot exist alone. In other words, while we know all the foolishness that he's done, he wasn't doing that by himself. It, you, know, you know what I mean? When he took out that newspaper ad, why didn't the editor stop him? Why didn't somebody from some agency even, you know, say, hey, take that down? Nobody. Nobody took it down. It was still published. It was still sold. And it was still marketed. It made the news. <laughs> the news made the news, right? And he was able to do that. Why? Because he had the privilege and the power to do so. White supremacy doesn't always look the same. White supremacy can actually look like allyship. White supremacy could look like the well-to-do white person who just wants to help. And that's exactly what Donald Trump did when he took out that ad on the Exonerated Five. He did not care that these were teenagers. He did not care that these were young black and brown men who were facing losing the rest of their lives to prison. He didn't care about that. He had his kids. He has his wealth. And in his mind, if they say you're guilty, then you're guilty. You fit the bill. That's just what it is. That's how he treated it. But that's how it's still being treated, though. And if that wasn't true, then how come we always seem to have the money to build the prisons, but not the schools. We always seem to have the funding 
to okay, you know, military equipment for a police, you know, the police department, but we don't have the funds to say, hey, we need after school programs, right? We don't have that. Why is that? Is that being done by mistake? I don't think so. I do believe it's being done by design. Anything and everything that's being restricted to black and brown people is being done by design. We as black and brown people need to recognize it as so. See, part of the issue is we do have a few good white people. And when I say that, I mean the generous ones, they're generous, yes. They're supportive, yes. But they also don't take up all the space. And they don't shove you out of your space. Nor do they encourage you to be shoved out of your space. If anything, they're in the background and they want you to have an opportunity to do what you need to do. And what they'll do is they'll support you in your journey. And I know that because I know a few of those types of allies. Those are allies. Those are the allies who will share your work or help you out when you're down or try to find a way to support your cause in any which way they can. Because your success means something. And it's not selfish either. You don't owe them anything. You just want to know you're going to be okay. So while we talk about white supremacy and all involved and all the characteristics of it, and we could go on for days about that, we could also talk about the good white allies, the ones who respect platforms, the ones who recognize, okay, this movement is meant for black and brown people. I'll know my place and I'll stay there. Not the ones, like, I mean, again, Donald Trump is the epitome of all that bad behavior. This man don't care. He looked at these five young men and decided they had to be guilty. Look at their background, look at their neighborhood, look at them. And he supported that. His behavior there is no different than when the black or brown young person, or even not young person, person in general, goes to interview for a job or anything that they hold in as high esteem, but because they are not the majority number on the job, the critique is a little harsher. Well, you know, I don't know if I really like how their resume was formatted, or I don't know if they have enough experience, or, you know, I don't know if they're a good fit. Like, that's when the subliminal racism jumps in. Then there's the gatekeeping and the gaslighting. Come on. Come on. One thing you'll know is uh, that is happening is when you realize you're a threat to their existence. They don't like that. See, that's why Trump had problems with who he had problems with. Because anyone he perceived to be a threat to his existence was a problem to him, which makes sense. He didn't want to share that spotlight, nor did he want to give it up. So, of course, he doesn't want to see black and brown people working together. Hell no. Instead, he'll remind them of why they need to be apart. And unfortunately, some of us, we bought into that. Why? Well, who knows? But the fact remains, it happened that way. So, you know, I mean, this man has a legacy of hate, supporting hate, promoting hate, you know, just procuring hate. And if you didn't think so, I challenge you, if you have not, look into the story of the Central Park Five. Look into it. 
try to figure out what happened there. See if you could find a movie or documentaries and if you could tolerate it. I mean, I'd say it'd be easier to read because quite frankly, I had to watch the documentary in pieces. Um, some of that stuff as a mother, you know, it was, it was a lot, like, especially the first, uh, prison rape scene, because it was so sad, it was so, so sad, um, you know, because this kid, here he is, he didn't even get to finish high school, the night of the incident, he was gonna kiss his little high school sweetheart, um, and have, you know, a good time with her after he had hung up, when I say a good time, hang out with her, you know, after he had hung out with his friends, and it never happened, he was supposed to end his night, you know, having fun with her, holding hands, doing things that young kids can love, doing nothing harmful, nothing harmful. Instead, that one night where he made the decision to join his friends to have fun will turn into 30 years of him having to endure trauma in ways that I could not even begin to imagine, right? I mean, this kid... The fact that he still functions, this man still functions, I am just too proud of him because I don't know if I could do that. That would be too much for me, you know, um, to have gone through that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he has nightmares still, the trauma, the waking up in the middle of the night, the, you know, the remembering all the things you've been through. But again, at the same time, his story is also the epitome of what it means to not have privilege and to be black or brown in this country, right? The way we're treated, the way that we're judged, the way that we're chastised, the way that if we do or say something that is not to the status quo, their status quo, we're a problem now. And then who comes to save us? Right, we see it time and time again. When we are said to be guilty, it's not a problem. Like I like I mentioned before. I'm not saying that I support R. Kelly. I'm not saying that I, you know, liked what he did at all. Absolutely not. Same follows for Bill Cosby. I just use those two to reference because we all agree that what they did was gross and disgusting. We didn't waste time locking them up. It wasn't a big deal. Snap, snap, it was done. This man has had years of freedom, okay? Because we know he's guilty. He knows he's guilty. He just laughs at our system. And one has to wonder, why is he so confident in doing that? Well, to me, the answer is pretty obvious. Because he knows that he has privilege. And he knows that he has the money and the people who are supposed to fix it for him. Because that's the type of life that he lives. He knows it's a crock of bullshit because look at this country. This country was built on crime. It was built on, you know, taken from one, the lesser, the vulnerable, you know, the original people. And, and just for greed and wealth, like, it, it's so gross. This country cannot survive without violence either. You know, again, in his tenure, this man, you know, he had no problem investing in the police department or military equipment, or militizing anything for that matter. He was really, really seeking to establish a police state. He wanted that. He wanted America to be that, okay? And when he was removed from power, we saw so many things. 
what we should have paid attention to is the level of violence and who really, really pushes the gun violence. Now, don't come for me. Don't come for me. We could talk to death about the gun violence in the hood. Yes, we could talk about that. We could talk about the senseless shootings. We could talk about that. I'm not refuting those. I'm just saying on the bigger scale of things, right, don't forget those people who participated in that insurrection, they didn't carry candy and balloons with them. They had guns, okay? The fact remains America has a gun problem. This is a country that would invade another country. They just love, America just loves violence. America will see something, want something, use violence to get it, and be okay with that, and then talk about peace. That's just hypocrisy in action, you know? And Trump knows that. So my thought is, he approaches all of this with that mindset, like, you're so full of shit. Look at all what you do. And to that extent, I'm pretty sure that his lawyers are <laughs> encouraging him, um, or should I say discouraging him from having any outbursts, interacting with the media. You know, you saw that he came out, if you saw the footage from him coming out, um, going to the arraignment, he looked very stern-faced. You know, I have to say, um, the blowout on his toupee was quite interesting, but that's a story for another time. Might want to use extra wig glue in uh, circumstances like that. But anyway, um, he looked pretty upset. But one thing he made sure to do, he made sure to, to make eye contact with the camera. <laughs> Bro, you, you just, you're about to go into court for like 15 different charges. Well, who knew how many different charges? They say it's 34. I'm pretty sure by the time December comes, it's going to go down to like a half, right? I'm not very confident. Um, and I hate to be the one to break the news, but I'm not the only black person who feels that way. And that has to do with the fact that when it's one of ours, it's not a problem. It's when it's one of yours, it's a problem. When it's one of yours, it's like, well, are you sure that's how that went? You sure? Maybe we didn't get the facts right. I don't know. You know, because you have to wonder, with all the hate and all the stuff that Trump did, why does he still have a following like he does? How is that humanly possible? Why? Because birds of a feather. He's not the only one. If y'all think he's the only one who feels that way, the only person you're lying to is yourself. Or you're in some serious denial. This man... And let me tell you something else about these type of people. Those type of people, I should say. They are hiding in plain sight. Believe it or not, you're probably going to work with them. You're probably sharing an office with them. You know, they know who they are. You don't know who they are. Because, again, these folks are very loyal to their cause. I'm not saying I accept their behavior. I'm just saying they're committed to it. And to be committed to oppression and oppressive ways to that level, I mean, come on. How much hate has to exist in you? How could we not see that there's a problem here? You know, and he's not the only one. I mean, again, you have people with this mindset 
who are holding positions, who are managing organizations, who are managing projects, who, you know, they don't want to see us succeed. They get threatened by our success. They don't want us to succeed, nor do they want to invest in our success. So it becomes competitive or it becomes uncomfortable. And either somebody's going to be leave or they're going to be shown the door. And usually it's us, right? Um, with Trump, I would not be surprised as this go along that he would start to pick who he feels did worst offenses. You know, because you can't tell me he's not going to throw at least one person under the bus. I won't believe you. He will do it. You know, um, I think right now his lawyers are trying to prevent him, um, as we say back home, help him from being himself because they probably know or suspect he's very tempted to do the same thing. I mean, let's not forget here, the way this man ran his entire campaign, he was a bully from the beginning to the end. That's how he does things. He bullies people. You know, he doesn't care how it feels. He's dismissive. You know, he um, speaks down to people. He's arrogant. He's all these different things, and he doesn't care. Why? Because he knows he has the privilege to do that, and he will exploit it. As much as everybody calls it out, who's really stopping him? Mike Pence. How come he never stopped him? How come, you know, the Republican Party was more outspoken? for that matter, or decide, like, listen, this is where we draw the line, right? If anything, um, what has happened is we got to see different shades of Trumpness, right? We have all different shades, and I say that because they're upholding the oppression as well. They also believe that there needs to be a border. They also, you know, accept and support um, separating families. They also believe in police states and funding police departments. They also believe that they should have guns in their basements and that, you know, anytime you say the word gun control, it threatens their ability to bear arms, which is bullshit. But that's how they exist. They want to maintain their privilege. They want to make sure that they're comfortable. They'll hire their friends. They'll ensure that they have the funding and the capacity to keep themselves and their people afloat, but it's the use and needs, right? And if that wasn't true in a state as progressive as Connecticut, why is it so hard for us to demand more from the at least 19 billionaires and millionaires who live in this state right here? They're here. Yes, they are. And they own nice houses and they live nice lives, and they're not worried about buying toilet paper, and they're not bothered by having to, you know, decide between eggs or gas. They're quite comfortable, actually, you know, in that way. Um, and so, you know, it is something else, isn't it? You know, again, in my opinion, as a black pro-immigrant, we can look at Trump and see the white supremacy from various angles. But even if we see it, what are we going to do about it? What's the point of saying that you don't accept his behavior if you're going to still maintain his oppressive ways? Just because his name is Donald Trump and you're doing it doesn't mean it's not white supremacy. It is. I mean, again, he had 
the ability to and the support to pull out a whole ad demanding that you know these folks were killed he didn't care whose kids they were he didn't care if there was misinformation or any type of misconduct by the police or investigator he did not care he heard black latino guilty that's all he needed to know and he took action and he had support years later he goes into office he's still as erratic he's still as judgmental he's still as biased and once again he has the support and why is that again right here in connecticut there was a nice car caravan and i'm being sarcastic with my nice by the way um in support of donald trump yes yes they believe in trump they don't care like all these bad things they hear they will find ways to justify it and in doing so they will also give a bad steam to others who may also be christians but do not have those same beliefs who may also be white people with privilege and do not share those beliefs but these people don't care you know they want to make sure you know they are there and they are restoring society well wake up and smell the soldiers what type of society are they trying to bring back what exactly are they trying to bring back you have to ask yourself that question right i mean if we're going to talk about hitler what's so different between that and this what's the difference okay going back to the millionaires and billionaires living in connecticut um <laughs> the fact that our lawmakers you know decided that they have to study rent i mean i don't understand how you study rent i i i don't get that i don't understand um but they have to study it do they have to study what the word rent means what control means i don't know i mean bottom line is this how many people have to lose housing before it becomes a bigger problem it's already a problem it's a question of how big are we going to get it to go or where it would go, I should say, right? Housing right now is a pandemic on various levels. We have people who are working jobs and they don't have a place to stay at night. We have people who are sleeping couch to couch, house to house, relative to relative, friend to friend, living in a car, getting hotel rooms. These are all different images of homelessness. Homelessness is not just one thing, you know, but yet, right here in Connecticut, where we have millionaires and billionaires, we don't seem to think that we need any type of relief. But yet, we don't hold those people accountable. We don't hold the slumlords accountable. We're not trying to ensure that, you know, there's any type of rent relief. We don't care. These people are living and dining and having a great time. Some of them don't even live in Connecticut. You know, they don't care. They own their houses because there are celebrities who own houses in Connecticut. Right. You don't see them or hear them or know they're there because they're very discreet about everything because they have the power and the privilege to do that. Right. Meanwhile, we have a growing. Homeless population. And when I say that, I'm not just referring to the people who live in tents, not saying that that's better, not saying that that is acceptable. But the point is, if we are to define homelessness and really consider who falls in that category, there's so many people affected by that. So, you know, going back to Trump, he was a real estate tycoon. 
you know, he's the kind of person who is okay with lawmakers studying rent control because he wants to protect his money. Okay, that's how that goes. And this is why we encourage folks to go out there. You don't want to do, you know, a public protest. Write your lawmaker, write your mayor, let them know how you feel, but get active. What those uh, folks did there, what that man, Salim, did for the Exonerated Five, that's amazing. That's what more of that should be happening right now because the time is right now. It is right now. If you want to call all of this out, now would be the time to do it because what a better example of white supremacy. We're looking at him. His name is Donald Trump. So call it what it is. Call it out. We don't need to accept this. The longer we take to call it what it is and deal with it. But you see, that's part of the black and brown experience. We like to hold things inside. We like to sit there and let it boil and boil and boil until it becomes part of our lives and it's normalized, you know, and that's what he did. He made it normal for people to be racist and he made it normal for people to accept racism. And for that reason, if there's any time when we should be calling out all the white supremacy, uh, the different insecurities, the fact that, you know, here we are in 2023 and we still don't have uh, black and brown teachers like we should in these classrooms. We still have a very rigid um, certification process for both teaching and to get the LCSW. Why is that? That's not being done by mistake. How many black or brown people could really afford to get their teaching certificate in the time frame and with the resources that you know the program as it is requires? Who has the ability to take four months off to do that? Who has that? And the thing is, is that you can't like be on and off with it either. You got to take it in one shot. Who could do that? So, you know, when you think about it from that perspective and you look at Connecticut, you have to ask yourself really and truly, are we really that woke or are we still asleep? I'm going to leave that there for you to decide. But what I will say, let's pay attention to what's going on here with Donald Trump, you know, and don't be surprised if you don't see tons of black and brown people jumping in the streets about what's going on yet, because while I said that I expected to see some more action, I'm not surprised that there wasn't, because quite frankly, it's okay for us to get shot at. It's okay for us to be wrongly accused. It's okay for us to spend time in prison or be denied our rights. Um you know, not have access to educational resources, to live in poverty, to be homeless. These are all things that are okay. It's okay for us to be on the job and have to deal with the racism and all the other isms that comes along with being not white on the job. All of that is okay. All of that is okay. And that's what he proves. And so for those who, you know, say that they're against him, and they don't support him. Don't just say that, but then act like him low-key. And what I mean by that, don't say that you despise Donald Trump, but then you show up and exercise your biases by way of how you treat your peers, by way of how you treat your co-workers or employees, by way of how you perceive um, the students in your children's class, or even, for that matter, schools and teenagers, right? 
all those are different ways you could demonstrate your biases at the very least. The fact that right here in Connecticut, we're still fighting to get more black and brown firefighters promoted into leadership positions. I mean, come on. You can look at Connecticut and see different ways where, you know, despite our presence, many of our black and brown people are not promoted, supported into leadership. It's a rarity, you know. Um, if anything, we're perceived as threats and then we, you know, <laughs> our, you know, whole existence is torn to shreds because in essence, that's how white supremacy works. You know, you don't need them no more, get rid of them. That's what they did to the slaves, you know, and that's what Donald Trump did when he was there. We don't need them, get rid of them. We want to make sure these Negroes know what part of the field they're supposed to be in. So for all who don't think that's a bad idea to support the Republican Party. Let me tell you something. That's on your conscience. Now, that being said, I do think that America is behind the times in terms of, you know, having a two-party system. You would think in 2023 would be past that. You'd also think in Connecticut, there'd be so many different things that would be happening, especially after COVID. You would think that that would have been enough to say, okay, Let's really look at Yale and tax Yale. Let's look at our school systems and figure out how we could get more black and brown teachers, how we could get after school and before school programs, how we could get internships for our youth and pay them good ones, not foolish ones where they're doing stupidness to get by. No, no, no. Good ones where they learn life skills, where we could bring back shop classes and all those, you know, trades and anything else, home ec, all those things, bring it back. We should not have private schools like Branford Hall, you know, taking up that space. They're making money, but they don't care about our future. Listen, if you go and you ask some of the people who graduated from some of those schools, why do you think they're closing down now? Stone Academy and all of them. Because they exploited the population they claim to care so much about. They made their money. But yet, at the end of the day, many people graduated, yes, but they couldn't do the job, nor did they know what the hell they were doing. Some of them didn't even have a high school reading level. Like, it's crazy. But they ended up paying all this money for what? Just to be used. So you see, what is happening here with Donald Trump? You know, we need to realize the time is now. And while we're watching him through his process we need to lift up our voices and realize you know that's when we could shift things but that's also what they're afraid of they don't want to see us supporting each other protecting each other looking off they don't want to see that they like when we're at war right some of some even you know to this day probably still think that the exonerated five were guilty i mean look at what happened to these kids the community couldn't save them right not saying they didn't try but that's the level of hate that exists in this country then and now. So once again, the time is now. That's all I have for now. Now, I encourage you to check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Feel free to reach out. Let us know what you think. Is the time now? Should we get 